Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small groups ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax and listen to today's program. Hey, welcome everybody to this special uh, edition of Group Talk. We have a special two-part series for you. Uh, As you know, uh, in the United States, our country is reeling uh, from just some injustice that uh, has been captured on video from Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. Uh, There's been uh, peaceful protests. There's been rioting. There's been all kinds of emotions and feelings that have been uh, just roaring across America. And in the midst of COVID, uh, you know, churches are reeling from COVID and now they're trying to figure out how do we address this issue. And and I really want you to be listening to this because as a small group point person, this podcast and the second part, we're going to tell you about that, are going to be really important for you in the church because so much change that happens, happens in a grassroots effort. And so I want to focus on that. But uh, let me, uh, I got to get onto a monologue because I'm a a uh, little, little frustrated, a little wound up. Uh, our church has been talking about this, and um, that's why I'm excited about this podcast and uh, part two. But the church tends to be downstream uh, of culture, and the world is finally watching and waiting to hear how does the church going to respond to this? Is it going to be just another one of these, oh, it happens, riots happen, and then we all get back to be nice and stuff like that? But this is an opportunity for the church to wrestle with racism in, in, in the reality of what it is. Now, I want to frame this podcast up in a special way because I don't want to get into who's right and who's wrong. Uh, but what I want to do is set the stage and uh, with my guests being able to talk about racism in general. Now, we've all been uh, subject to that. Um, Lisa and I, Lisa's Hispanic, I'm Caucasian, and I can remember when we announced our engagement, we we had elders, the elders from the church took me out and asked me to break off my engagement. And I, and I thought it was a joke. And I had one of the wives of the elders meet with me and just say, hey, y- you don't want to have brown babies. So let me help you out with this. And the irony is, you know, they look as Caucasian as can be. But so, you know, we've experienced that. And in our small group, I, I we have have some uh, Japanese Americans who uh, their grandparents lost everything in World War II uh, because of uh, what happened, and they were they were uh, detained. They lost all their property and everything. They were in Manzanar, uh, in different uh, you know concentration camps around America. And th- th- there is that form. And when I'm around the planet, there are different types of race of every country. There is a tribe that hates a tribe. There's a people group that hates a people group. There's a country that hates another country. And that that's all around. But what I want to do is just, we want to take you into the deepest level of where racism is in the United States. I know we have a lot of listeners from around the world, but a lot of this is very transferable um, because there's a people group are African-American brothers and sisters who did not choose to be here. My family chose to be here because we immigrated from Europe. Lisa's family chose to be here because they immigrated from Spain and from Mexico. People in our small group have immigrated from the Philippines or from Japan or from China. Uh, And so there's different, you know, we chose to come here. 
There's a people group that did not get a choice. They were captured. They were put into boats. They were, I mean, and when I was growing up and we saw the series on Roots, it was such an awakening of the, the oppression that was put on them. And for, you know, 200, 300 years, the, there has been just a pushdown of, of that people group that is getting heard. Now, as you know, that in the 60s, the United States embraced law changes, but government can never change the character of people. Only the church can do that. And the beautiful thing about today, if there's a beautiful silver lining in all the heartbreak that has been happening, is that we have a chance to be color blessed, not color blind. We have a chance that today the church can take the lead in helping people unify. That when when we have the unity of the book of Acts, we'll get the power of the book of Acts. And James 13 kind of sets up this podcast perfectly. And it says, when, when those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace, and reap a harvest of righteousness. And part of this is, uh, the reason why I wanted to pick that is that the word peacemakers there is very different than peacekeepers. Peacekeepers was like me. I was the last of a litter of six, and I grew up as a peacekeeper. You know, just don't rock the boat. Mom and dad have had a hard, hard enough time with my brothers and sister. And so there are those of us that just don't want to rock the boat. But that's peacekeeping. And I know there are some in America and in other parts of the country where this happens, we're just waiting for the riots to end. Can we just go back to the way it was? But the problem is, is that the church is missing why it is the way it was. And in a peacemaker, this is an opportunity where when you look in Scripture, it talks about this is where you see justice, where you see healing, where you see reconciliation, where you see anti-racism. So it's with that I want to tee up. I have a special guest with me. His name is Anthony Miller. Anthony has been in staff at Saddleback for eight years. He is our pastor of communications. He is the voice and the written word and the vocal word, except for our Rick, uh, of Saddleback Church. Anthony and I are long-term friends since we came on staff. You'll kind of hear me call him Ant, and he'll call me Gladen. It's 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 not that we are opposing each other. Uh, we we have just, that's our pet names for each other with that. So, Ant, great to have you on the podcast. Man, Gladen, I'm so glad to be here. First, let me just say thank you for having me uh, and leveraging your platform for an, such an important conversation. I, I honestly believe I, what you just said is spot on. And this is a this is about heart reformation, and what's going to require heart reformation is conversations like these. So thank you for leading these types of conversations. Yeah, Anthony uh, was on staff at a, at another church, and he came on eight years ago. And part of what I love about Anthony, Anthony is African American, but he uh, he has been he has always told us that uh, he is brought here not to fulfill the role. I mean, he's the pastor of communications overseas, you know, all that, that that entails from print to social media and everything in between. But he feels he's been brought here for a different reason. And that I remember that conversation eight years ago. And good Lord, here we are, eight we years are. and boom, the exclamation point. Here so let, I, you're going to enjoy 
uh, Anthony's perspective. And just to give you an idea, so part one, we're just talking about the the small group role, your small group role in uh, in, in being against racism. And, and you as a small group point person, you have to get it, you have to breathe it, you have to want it in order for your, your church to change. Part two, Carolyn Takeda and Amber Adams are going to be jumping in and developing an anti-racism culture in your small groups. And they're going to be a little bit more micro on practical things, although Anthony and I are going to do that. But I want to talk to you just racism is something we go, oh, yeah, bad. But then our behavior sometimes doesn't match it. So let's jump in here. Anthony, I'm going to just throw questions at you. Game? Bring them. <laughs> so I love it. Bring them. We're both football nuts. So it's just it's like <laughs> I feel it's offense against defense. And here we go. Here so we go. First one. Okay. Hey, hey, what did you experience and I know this could be touchy, and I want to give you all the breathing room uh, that you may need. But when you watch the horrific videos uh, of Amar Aubrey, uh, who seems like a trillion years ago, and, and also in light of the George Floyd uh, videos that, that came up, help us help us gain perspective of where where the feelings that you that came up to you. Yeah. First, let me say we realized that. Um, both George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and countless other names are names that we are using for a cause, but these are people that lost their lives and there's family members out there grieving the loss of life. So I, I want to acknowledge that real quick. Mm. For me, um, I, I got to be honest, I, I I was very upset. I was angry. I did not, I, I did not have that moment of, of this is so sad. I was absolutely angry. My first thoughts after watching this video were not Christian thoughts. Mm. I was a black man watching this black man being uh, murdered by the very people designed to protect us. Mm. And so I immediately put myself in this video. What would I have done if I was there? Would I have rushed the police and, and stopped them? And that's what I, that was my first thought. I would, no, I would have rushed him. And then I was like, well, why didn't the people in the video that were calmly asking him to get up and get up, get up, get off of him, why didn't they rush? And it's the same reason why I wouldn't have rushed because we would have risked our own lives trying to save him. And that made me even more mad, right? And so I was just angry. And, 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 and I had to, at some point, bring that emotion to God because I knew as a black man, as a brother, as a father, as a friend of, of, of this injustice, what do I do with that? And I, and I loved, we were talking before the show, uh, and Anthony and I, our lives just intersect. I mean, we're in the same wing of the building uh, that we work from, and so our lives just cross over all the time. And, and I think it's, it, I want to dive a little bit deeper because for all of us, it was just horrific. I mean, you, you can't watch that video and not feel nauseous uh, with that. But as you said, this is the long line of, uh, I, I read your um, Facebook or Instagram, or which one of your social media posts, and and you listed just a, a you know, 20 or too, 20, 25. Too long it, it, was, it was too yeah, long, too long. Of, of a list of names that as a, as a person, whether I'm Caucasian or whatever, it, it just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But where it kind of burns it into the fact, I had to think if my daughter Erica mm -hmm. was in that video, mm -hmm. how how would I feel? And what mm -hmm. I loved about you, Anthony, was you go, I'm not feeling very Christian, mm -mm. and and I'm just like going, when I put 
my family, when mm-hmm. I put my people group, when I put that injustice in there, that rips to the heart. And I think for a lot of us, I think what you got to do in order to find out whether you have a pulse beat on this or not is if you have a daughter, put your daughter there. Mm-hmm. If you have a spouse, put your spouse there mm-hmm. and ask yourself, how, how's that feeling now? And it, But I know that that's a video, but for you growing up as an African-American kid in the United States where supposedly we're getting more sophisticated, which, you know, sadly enough, we're not uh, growing up as a culture, but give us a glimpse into what it was like for you. What was, what was it like for you? Because I think these stories that you, that you've shared with me will give a great insight to why this video is one. Because I was like going, I was thinking the same thing. Why don't people jump up? Why don't you? And I like to think if I was standing there, I would jump up, but I'm like, going, I don't, I don't know if I would because they're an authority. Yeah. I think that's what was hard for me when I watched the video, because of course I'm thinking, why are we still here? Why is this still happening? But it immediately triggered my, my, my upbringing it immediately triggered my th- my feelings of hopelessness and helplessness and powerlessness that we, we cannot do anything about this the people that are supposed to be protecting us is killing us so it triggered when i have been pulled over and harassed by police officers when i've been called the n-word in, at school and when i was you know uh followed around in 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 stores and harassed and it, it triggered all these emotions of of racism in my life mm. where i i was so what's unique about me also is that my mother is white my father is black so i experienced racism on both sides to be honest with you but wow. my grandmother on my mother's side used to call us the n-word growing up right and so uh, it, it, in the beginning i remember my mother telling me that her first time even meeting a black person was when she was 12 and she went up to this girl and said, can I touch your skin? Because she was taught by her mother that black rubs off. So she wanted to see if it, the, the black would rub off. Mm-hmm. It's that generational racism that that I came out of, right? So it triggered all these emotions growing up, right? I, I've been pulled over and laid on the ground and searched my car in, in, in a time where I was afraid for my life. So it triggered all of those emotions. That's why... I didn't see that video as a Christian. I saw the video as a black man. And then I had to reconcile those thoughts. I had to reconcile those thoughts with my beliefs in Jesus, my my Christian values, who I am now. And so for the first few days, I, I honestly didn't talk to anybody. Mm. I, I You can ask my team. I kind of retreated because I was processing. I was I was so upset. I was processing. And, and, and God said, Anthony, it's okay for you to be angry. Mm. I'm angry. Anger is the right response. Anger is the right response. And, and then that's when the protests and the riots and the looting started. And everybody's now talking about the new narrative, which is that's wrong. And, and I get it. I'm not going there either. But what I wanted to say is do not dismiss their expression of their anger. Try to understand what they're saying. Mm. Understand what they're saying. And that Martin Luther King said is that riots is the voice of the unheard. Yeah, This is not a new thing. You guys got to understand that most of you are white brothers and sisters that are listening to this right now. Yep. They're, they're on ramping onto a highway that we've been on for all our entire life. Yep. 
They're now just coming into this thing that we've been on, this journey we've been on. So it, it, it's like if I was punching your arm for five minutes, it would start feeling sensitive, right? Yep. Imagine an hour, two hours, three hours. Imagine being punched your entire life. Yeah. It's going to be sensitive. It's actually going to have some deformities in your arms. So that's where we're at. And that's when we were like, enough is enough. Yeah, it is the push down that happens in with with people. And it's like when you suppress people, it it's it dehumanizes them to what they have to offer. Now, Anthony, you you brought up uh, you know, obviously, uh, and I'll just tell the, the listeners, you're you're told me the story about, you know, hey, when you get pulled over. You know, it's it, you don't pull over immediately. You make sure you're in a in a public. Yeah, area. that's the talk. We know it as the talk. Every black man, probably every black woman, I'm only speaking from my perspective, was taught by their father. If you get pulled over by a police officer, you keep your hands on the steering wheel. You do not reach for your license and registration until uh, they ask for it. And then you tell them where it's at so they know where you're reaching. Yep. Um, and then here's the thing. You don't pull over until you're in public. That was our lesson is if, if you're being pulled over, you drive the speed limit until you get to a public place, a parking lot or some, a mall or a store. And that's where you pull. And so I've been in that situation many times where I pulled over in a very public place and did all those things because the police officer comes to the door or comes to your door with his hand on his gun already. Yeah. Right. And so we're already like, okay, this is not good. And one of those times, I didn't have a public place to go to. I was out in the middle of a field, driving back, uh, going back to my college with my college buddies, and it, we we were so scared that night being pulled over. We we could have been one of these victims. Yeah. Now, but what's interesting, and before you think Anthony is just all anti cops, you, you have your family members who are police yep. officers. Yep. Unpack both sides of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is why I'm so thankful because. I have a perspective, some of, uh, some, so I have on my white side of the family, I have a state trooper, I have a CD, CD, um, city PD mm -hmm. uh, in my family, both men and women, white men and women in my family, that are some of the best human beings I know. Yeah. Right? So they, I know for a fact, all police are not bad. Although my experience has been, I've had some pretty hard yes. experience with, with police, but I know not all police are bad. So that's why I, I think in this conversation, uh, I think we have to know that both things can be true. There are good men and women behind the badge that are risking their life every single day to protect us. And there is an institution that has allowed racism to exist both things could be true. And I think we have to wrestle with that. And we have to acknowledge both things to be true because it's a perspective thing. From my perspective as a black man, there are racist police and injustice happening. From the other side, of course, there's police putting their life on the line, dealing with the hardest part of humanity every single day. It's the same in the church world. I mean, there are great pastors and there are pastors who take their authority and use it for bad and it gives the church a, a black eye, and but it's it's in this type of an environment. Uh, what I'm, well, I wish we could, you could spend. Uh, we're going to give you Anthony's email or something that you can get a hold of him at the end of the show. Um, but one of the things is, I wish you could spend some time with them. And I'm hoping that at the end of this podcast, you'll actually we got some great next steps for you to take with this. But listening to people, not solving their issue, not going well, yeah, but but just listening to them 
them is going to help you understand the perspective that they come from because this this is centuries in the United States of a culture being pushed down, mm-hmm. of a po- culture being uh, minimized. And when you look, when you try to marry that up against God's word, I mean, the big problem we have is that we're always saying, you know, at the top of the show, the church is downstream culture because the most segregated hour tends to be Sunday morning at nine and 11. And so part of what we got to understand is that these things aren't going to break down unless the church has a change in their heart. And that's why we need to have a theological urgency here. Right. We need to understand that there are eternal consequences to looking squarely at injustice and doing nothing. There are the, the, the people of God is expected to respond to injustice. We know that God cares deeply about justice. He's a just God. Therefore, we need to see that this is a relationship issue, not just a relationship e- issue with each other, but it's a relationship issue with God. If I'm not moved by injustice, then I have a problem with God. Yeah. And part of what we're going to do is be able to give you some crawl, walk, run steps in this episode. Carolyn and Amber are going to dig deeper into how you can help with your small groups. But Anthony, let me just, let me go on the church level. And, you know, what are some of the challenges just to help people who are listening to this that may, may not still be trying to figure out, well, I don't understand why this is so bad. Uh, But what are some of the challenges just, you know, serving as an African-American pastor, uh, maybe at Saddleback or in church in general uh, on any staff? in 2020? Well, I think it's important that the church needs to first uh, understand its history. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the church's history in this country is, is has has a history of getting this issue wrong, right? We got we to start there. Darn it! Right? We got, Darn it. We, given our pattern of failure, we must first check our position, mm-hmm. right? We, we don't want to start with empathy. We actually want to start with self-examination. Yeah. We want to look at ourselves, say, what are me as a leader? Where are my blind spots? What am I not seeing? And that's what I love so much about our, 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 our pastor, Rick. He has, that's where he started first in all this. He started this years ago. He's been doing this, but he's doing it again now, examining himself first and our leadership team, our staff. Before you can even reach your community, you have to start with your church yeah. staff and your leadership. And I love that about uh, our, our pastor, Rick. But I think that's, that's where most churches need to start first is looking self-examination. Yeah. And Anthony, I know sometimes, uh, you know, when we were, uh, we, we had a staff meeting, it was a two hour staff meeting. And I mean, I, I mean, I had to take a nap afterwards, but it, it was, it was just great. Uh, we had a number of people on our staff who are African-Americans uh, share honestly with their, uh, sometimes it was, uh, are we just a token? Are we just a, a nice little thing that you can put on your church shelf and your church bulletin so you can look diverse, uh, but you're really not, uh, can you, can you address that maybe yeah. and and maybe what they're feeling too what how can we give them permission to to educate us yeah i think that is definitely a challenge all black uh staff members of churches that are um predominantly this, caucasian yes and, and on maybe on the journey of trying to understand what multicultural looks like in their context yep. i think uh First of all, I think you need to understand that we struggle with uh, every single day. This is our struggle with how much of our blackness will you accept? Yeah. Like how much do we dial it down so that we can be um, um, we can maintain our voice and our influence without you pushing us out saying, oh, you're being too black right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm using raw language, but no, that's no. that's our that's how we process this. All of us feel that way. And 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 and. Um, and, and and so I think what you have to understand is uh, for us, 
we love this word diversity. We love this word unity. But for us, unity is a scary word because unity sounds like conformity. Mm-hmm. As long as we conform into the the white's way of yep. church yep. and we dismiss our beautiful cultural values, the things that our styles of preaching, our styles of, of teaching, our styles of music, our, our expression of art and creativity, it, it, it's unique to our culture. But as long as we kind of push that aside and kind of jump on, you know, white America trick Christian values, then we could be uniformed. Yeah, and, and I hope you guys heard that because there there's a piece of, we're, we're like going, yeah, we want to be unified. We want to show the world we're diverse, but we don't want anything to change. Yeah, and that's a scary, that's a scary place for us to be in. And we take on that task because we know if we can kind of get on the inside, then we can kind of change the culture a little at a time. Right. And we can just, again, keep dialing up our blackness until you guys can accept it and, and, and understand it, right? Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a matter, I think, on all church staffs, you, you want everybody to be able to show up and to be honest. And I think one of the things I appreciated about our staff meeting, what I appreciate just about our staff in general, is uh, people will show up. And there was some harsh, I mean, it wasn't harsh in the sense of language, but gut-wrenching feelings that were shared at our staff meeting that you're just like going, oh my. I mean, in every other church, but not our church, not our staff. And that's a great point, Gladen. I think even if you think you're okay, you're not okay. I, I, I promise, like even the best of us, even me, I have to examine myself Lord, test me. Show me where I'm missing and not understanding my brothers and sisters that don't look like me. And that's where I'm hoping the, those of you that are on staff, if you if you have people of uh, that are different than you on your staff, uh, especially African Americans, I hope you can get to build a relationship. I remember Anthony. Uh, oh my goodness, is when Black Lives Matter first came out. I, I sent out uh, an, an email. Uh, I forget how many people. It's just I even hate thinking this through. And I and I I, I love humor, uh, but humor can be sometimes bad. And I, I took uh, Black Lives Matter. I took it out of the out of context. And what was great though is that you were able to email me. Actually, no, you called me up and just say, "Hey, I love your email. Funny, uh, but let me let me let you yeah. know how other people might have saw that." Yeah. And I'm like going. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, and and that's a perfect example why diversity in community is so important. Because if we don't uh, in our con, if if we don't have diversity in the closest people to us, mm-hmm. and we don't have those people that can speak into truth these truths into us, then we will always be left into our own our comfort zones, our own biases, our own our limited in our our view of humanity, and not se- see and celebrate the differences of people. And I think not to transition us, but I think this is why your small group is so important. Well, let's let's jump into that because we're going to need some practical ideas uh, on small groups. Uh, I mean, every one of the people listening is a small group point person. They have influence into Sunday school classes, into small groups that are all across uh, all across this planet. But let's get to the 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 nitty gritty. And I know Carolyn and Amber are going to take us deeper in that, but. As we try to understand this this whole thing, your role against racism, 
how can we start it? What what can what are some practical ideas that we can take into our small groups? And I loved where you were just going uh, with the small group that every one of us have. Yeah, I think we first need to understand that our relationships define us. You know, we are defined by our relationship. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a friend. We are defined by our relationship. So so those that are closest to us uh, will confront our comfort zones. They'll expand our perspective. Uh, they're either confirm or challenge our biases, mm. right? So if if we're only in communion with people that look the way we look and sound the way we sound and act the way we act, then we will have limited perspective. Uh, we will not be able to fully understand and appreciate the full expression of humanity, which is the image bearers of God. Right. So therefore, I think this is where your small groups are so critical. They have a critical role because your small group is who you do life with. And when you bring people to do life with you, then uh, that's when you begin to uh, learn each other, understand each other, start trusting each other. And those closest to you is going to say those things like the calls we've had and you've yeah. done it for me. Yeah. Right. You've taught me a ton about this culture. And so. Uh, it's important to have those relationships. So if your small group doesn't have, I, I say, first, look at your small group. Does it have proper diversity? We're, I'm so blessed to be in an amazing small group. One of the jokes that we have in our small group is, because uh, this was not by design, it just happened to be this way, yep. um, that the joke is you must have mixed babies to be in our small group. <laughs> Every single one of us, we're in, in a biracial relationship. And so uh, we all have mixed babies. So we're the mixed baby small group. And it's so cool because we have so much diversity and so much uh, perspective that we're learning and, and growing through. And so I, I would say first, look at your group. Does it have the diversity it needs? Yeah. Can you change that? And, and there are painful things that, I mean, uh, sometimes we're just blind to it and we, and my, my temperament steps into it. But, you know, in our small group, we were talking something about World War II. This was uh, decades ago uh, in our small group. And uh, one of my close friends in group is he's from Japan. And I go, oh, my dad uh, fought against your dad in World War II. And he goes, no, my dad fought alongside your dad mm. in World War II. Mm. And then I further stepped in it more, uh, but it was just, uh, you know, he was just sharing about Manzanar, sharing about how his family lost everything. They lost all their possessions, all their identity and everything like that. And and I didn't realize till we were up at Manzanar, which was the the holding ground for Japanese Americans, is when, when we cried together. And I mm -hmm. thought, how could I be so blind? Mm -hmm. And our group is like yours. We have Filipinos, we have Japanese, we mm -hmm. we have Hispanics. We you know we're just we, we're just, we're just a mix with that. But but, for, but that's how we're going to move the needle. So but but your and my small groups may not be everybody else, right? So what does a small group do if they all look the same? Yeah, if you cannot change it, then I would say I I, I would ask you to reach out to other groups. Or, uh, or or bring people into the group that can talk to you. There's resources out there also. There's there's great resources and small group resources that you can you can go through together as a group and say, you know what, we may not be able to bring you know the diversity in here that we would like, mm -hmm. but we can learn together. Yeah, and there there are those resources there for you uh, up on the Facebook group uh, that we have. Uh, there, the people have probably been posting. Uh, I think like eight or nine different uh, different small group curricula mm -hmm. that have uh, to deal with racism. Uh, Derek will put a link to that into the uh, show notes. Uh, also, a buddy of mine, Scott Sager, uh, wrote 
he gave about um, seven, eight, nine, ten different things that you can do uh, as you're trying to gain that mindset to be anti-racist. We'll put that article for you in the show notes too uh, that that you can look at. But I just want to challenge you as a as a small group point person. Mm-hmm. Starts with you, baby. Mm-hmm. Starts with you. And if you don't know anybody not like you, or more specifically in America, I would challenge you to, especially during this time, go out to coffee, go out to lunch, go out to dinner with somebody who is African American and in the ministry mm-hmm. so that you can and just listen to them. Just say, I'm I'm blind. I may I'm an ignorant. Talk to me about what you are feeling during this time. Yeah, I love that. It, 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 I love how our small group leaders and pastors and, and point people, they have an opportunity to be on the front line of this because they're really the lifeline of, of community in our church, right? They, that's where the relationship of our church exists. And the way we're going to move the needle is when we seek and desire diversity in our community. We see this in the New Testament church. On Pentecost, we started off as a diverse church. Mm. 2,000 years, we started off as a diverse church. Why is it that 2,000 years later, Sundays is the most segregated day of the week? Yeah, we've done. The church always has a great job of taking the simplicity rules of the gospel and just throw that playbook away and and create your own playbook. Hey, just something else I I just encourage you to do is that um, don't solve people's problems. You know, Mm. when when you're meeting with them, uh, as a point person, you know, everything rises and falls off leadership. Your your small group leaders are looking to you to see what you do, and you tell the stories of what you've experienced, but just listen, feel the pain, and just be present. Now, I'm a doer. I like to execute. I like to make, make things happen. And so this is hard, but sit back and just listen so that, so that you can learn. So a couple of next steps out of here is one is for you personally— Look at you and said, have I had lunch or coffee with anybody that doesn't look like me? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, I was going to say in the last month or so, but none of us have done anything during COVID. <laughs> Unfortunately. But I mean, but you you know who you are. You know where you're, you're at and who you run with. Break out of that pack and go with that. Step two, challenge your small groups to look at themselves and start to say, how can I get out of that? And it may, may be that they don't want to break their group up or anything like that but they can still go have coffee. Mm -hmm. They can still go have dinner. Mm -hmm. They can bring somebody into their small group. They can serve with other groups. They can serve with other groups. That's Mm -hmm. We're probably taking all of Carolyn and Amber's show, but but I love it. But yeah, but but serving together and and there's so many things that that you can do because this should anger you, Mm -hmm. but what is motivating you and the expression that you're doing with that anger is where we need to rise as a church. We have an opportunity like we've never had an opportunity before to take what was said in the law and do what the church should have always done, and that is help change people and change their hearts as we deal with this broad brushstroke of racism. Amen. Anthony, closing comments. I got a scripture I was going to read uh, for for people uh, and then go to any of the, the, the housekeeping that we have, but uh, any closing comments you'd like to share? Um, you've been a world of wealth. It's uh, Anthony M at Saddleback.com. If any of you want to ping him. You just destroyed my inbox, brother. Uh, I know, but if, uh, I'm all about that. I was going to give your cell number, so count that as a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, man. Closing I, thoughts? I, I'm thankful to be here. Like I said earlier, um, it, it, there's two things to be true. I think you touched on this earlier, that uh, the, the the civil rights movement of, of the 60s and 50s was a reformation of the law. It was to change the law that was protecting racism. Mm -hmm. I believe deeply that this movement is a reformation of the heart. The law can't not cannot change the heart of man. Jesus can. So that means two things to me. That means um, one, it's this is the church's fight. This mm -hmm. is the church's fight. We we've we've surrendered the fight to government for too long. It's our time now to take up the mantle and fight the the fight of injustice. Mm -hmm. Second is. I'm going to say this pleading to my white brothers and sisters out there. Mm. This is your fight. Yeah. We've fought as, as long, as hard as we can. We, we, we've pushed this as, as far as we can. We now need white men and women in the places of power and influence to speak up against injustice and, and pursue anti-racism, not calling out racism. Uh, just calling out racism is simply a bad thing that needs to go away. But I love what Rick said. We're going to be known as a church that is anti-racism. That's a bold statement. And each one of you in your, everybody has influence. And even if it's, you may not be the senior league guy uh, or gal, but you are, you, you may be on staff, you may be some, you can set the trend, you can set the pace. We all influence somebody. So I would take that to heart because one of the things that Rick is, the elders just met this morning and Rick is like going, how does this, fan, how do we not let this, this, uh, this flame die out? How do we fan that flame? How do we take this to the next step? What structural things do we need to change at Saddleback Church? What, what, you know, what influence does Saddleback Church need to do? So I would just encourage you, don't let this be another, uh, you know, bump on the radar of riots that happen because of some something that a, a particular bad officer may have done. But use this as an opportunity to understand that this is the church's chance. Like never before, I believe that God, uh, and don't get, don't trip me up on the theology, but with what COVID happened, slowed everything down enough mm -hmm. that this exclamation point could have been seen and, and digested by the church. Here's our opportunity to say, how do we move against racism? And for the long term, it's got to be done relationally. That's why talking to you as a small group point person and to you how you can affect small groups, when it happens relationally, it comes a whole lot closer to home. Amen. When I first heard Anthony tell some of his stories, I mean, I love him. And when that happened, it was like my brother was in those stories. And when you build relationship with people, their stories become your stories. Here's a great opportunity for us who thrive and live off community to use this to grow the community with others not like us. So it, it is it is personal to us. It's just not, you know, when does this end and when is it off the news cycle, but that it is important to us. Let me just Amen. leave you with Colossians uh, 3.11. It says, here there are no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Each one of us have to understand that we got to think Christian-like. We got to affirm the divine image that is in every person because Christ made every person. We have to affirm the breath that comes from God and returns to God in every person. 
We should treat people as we would want to be treated. That's why you've got to put, when you look at those videos, you got to put your son in that position and say, how would you feel? Jesus is the most oppressed person that we know of, and we've got to you know, surround the people that are oppressed and come around them. And the main, I mean, where, where I go is that God sees what you're going to do with this. And nothing escapes God's notice. And one day we're going to have to account for it. And heaven's going to be a place of every tribe and tongue. I'd encourage you to read Scott Sager's article. I just, you know, highlighted it really quick. But let that be the blueprint for as you go forward with your small groups and give that to them. Have them wrestle with knowing somebody, inviting somebody, dining with somebody, having a meal with somebody, a coffee with somebody. Invite them into your home. I encourage you to listen to part two. Carolyn and Amber are going to take us home and give us a lot more of the specifics that are there. And as always, if you have concerns or thoughts, email us at grouptalk at smallgroupnetwork.com. And uh, my cell number is always on social media. Feel free to ping me with your thoughts. Love to hear from you and uh, get to know somebody not like you. God bless. God bless you. Hey, Small Group Network family, Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk producer and Small Group Network creative arts director. In this troubling time, I'm grateful for the leadership of Steve Gladen and Anthony Miller to discuss the subject of racism and your small group's role. Thank you both for such a great episode. Now, before we go, let's talk about a few things. Have you created your free membership yet with Small Group Network? Make sure you visit smallgroupnetwork.com to get amazing resources straight to your inbox. Also, on smallgroupnetwork.com, you can check out Peter Cloud's article called For One Another's to Promote Unity Within Your Group's Ministry. It is an incredible article, and I know you'll love it. Lastly, huddles. I can never say enough great things about huddles. Within the first few months of me being a small group point person, I was invited to the Central Maryland huddle led by an SGN legend, Cynthia Considine. Her huddle helped equip me to do better groups ministry, and I started a huddle of my own. Get plugged into one today. Visit smallgroupnetwork.com huddles to get connected. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Group Talk, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.